Good morning. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Chris Oliver, along with Mike Weeks. Brian Curtis will be back later this week. Asian markets are set to open higher this higher after U.S. gains. Alibaba to file for an IPO on Wall Street this week. And Japan suffers a record deficit in the last fiscal year. In our featured segments this morning, we'll take a look at currencies and other asset prices with Francis Chung, head of rate strategy at Credit Agricole CIB. And our local stocks set to get a major boost from global pension fund buying? Joining us for that discussion is Brooke McConnell of South Ocean Management Limited. We'll also be joined by Barry Wood, RTHK's international economics correspondent for our regular market segment. But first, but first this morning to the markets, and Asian shares are on the rise after U.S. stocks advanced modestly in subdued trading on Monday as investors showed hesitation in the wake of last week's strong rally and before a slew, slew of key earnings this week. Monday's gain marked the S&P 500's fifth straight climb, its longest winning streak since October. The broad market index wrapped up to its best week since July last week, boosted by results from names like General Electric and Morgan Stanley. The Nasdaq also scored its fifth straight gain on Monday. Here's Jim Struger, a derivatives analyst at MKM Holdings on the market outlook. If you think about it, we're mid-April, we're up 1% in the S&P 500. It's been a fairly choppy, circuitous route to get to this point. Uh, we remain on the defensive side, but we think with earnings coming, particularly in some of these momentum names, we could see some dispersion where the indexes continue to be a little confusing and choppy, but single stocks really start to move. The Dow rose 40 points, a quarter of a percent to end at 16,449. The S&P 500 gained two-fifths of a percent to close at 1871. And the Nasdaq Composite added two-thirds of a percent to 4,121. Video streaming service Netflix says it intends to raise the monthly subscription price for new customers by one or two U.S. dollars a month to help it provide more movies and more TV shows and improve the general service for 48 million global subscribers. Investors welcome the announcement. Netflix shares jumped nearly 7% in after-hours trading after the company released its plans. With more on its earnings, here's Chris Chikara, technology editor for TheStreet.com. Netflix reported revenues of $1.27 billion, which was in line with what analysts were expecting, but the company beat on the bottom line, earning $0.86 cents a share as it surpassed Thirty-five million streaming subscribers around the world. What they've been able to do is they've been able to attract millions of people to its streaming service because it's incredibly cheap. Most people are only paying about eight dollars a month, and they're getting various TV shows and various movies that you can't get anywhere else. And what they've started to do in the past couple of years is they've started to move to original programming, including shows like Orange is the New Black and the incredibly, incredibly popular House of Cards. So what they've been able to do is not only buy programming from other studios, but they've started to start their own programming as well. And that's attracting people. Chris Chiaccia. Reports suggest Alibaba may file for an initial public offering on Wall Street this week, meaning an IPO date for the Chinese e-commerce giant is just months away. Analysts estimate that the listing could raise more than 16 billion US dollars for Alibaba, making it the biggest US IPO since Facebook's highly publicized 2012 debut on the Nasdaq. Here's the BBC's Sumira Hussein in New York. It was just last week when China's equivalent to Twitter, Weibo, made its debut here in New York. And in that first day of trading, the stock shot up 20 percent. 
The success of Weibo has investors even more excited about Alibaba. The Chinese e-commerce giant has more sales and net income of both Amazon and eBay combined. It's China's largest internet company and operates in the world's largest internet market. And Alibaba accounts for 80% of all Chinese online consumer shopping. But why are Chinese companies choosing to list in New York instead of, say, Hong Kong? In the case of Alibaba, much of it has to do with ownership structure. American rules allow for executives to retain much more control of their company. Alibaba's successes have even lifted some U.S. companies. Yahoo has benefited from a 24% stake in Alibaba, and it's really been boosting Yahoo shares, which have gone up by more than 40% this year. And it's all the more reason why many investors will be watching just how Alibaba does in the coming months. Trade deficits surged nearly 70% to a record 13.75 trillion yen, just over 1 trillion Hong Kong dollars in the last fiscal year. That marked the third straight year of deficit as exports failed to keep pace with surging energy costs, which have soared since the March 2011 disaster at the Fukushima nuclear power plant. The finance ministry said exports in the year to March the 31st rose 10.8% year-on-year. That's nearly 71 trillion yen. And imports climbed 17.3% to 84.6 trillion yen. Japan's deficit with China jumped nearly 40% to 5.6 trillion yen. Just a quick look now at a few numbers on the markets. And in uh, Tokyo, the Nikkei currently nearly half a percent higher. It's up 65 points to 14,577. The yen this morning trading at just under 102.7 to the US dollar. The euro at 1 US dollar, 37.9 cents. The pound at 13 Hong Kong dollars, zero, uh, 13 Hong Kong dollars, one and a half cents. And a couple of other markets, not much movement in Australia. The SX just slightly higher at 5,445. In Seoul, the Cospies up one point to two thousand. Joining us on the program now is Francis Chung, head of rate strategy at Credit Agricole CIB. Good morning, Francis. Good morning. So, what are you watching around Hong Kong this week? Um, I think um, for the region as a whole, not really only in Hong Kong, because it's uh, fairly quiet in Hong Kong. We only have, uh, for example, CPI inflation number out uh, today, which is likely not to be um, market moving. But um, <clears throat> overall investor risk appetite appears to be uh, quite high, as suggested by the equity performances. However, in terms of the currencies market, it seems uh, it's kind of lack of direction. Uh, so far, uh, open this morning, we have the one being slightly stronger, but um, the type uh, about uh, moving sideways. So um, it seems uh, because after the Easter holiday, uh, the week-long holiday in China is coming again. So everyone would have the pretext uh, to be uh, staying on the sideline. And are you watching the Japanese yen at all? I, I see that yesterday the U.S. dollar and the euro both rose to a two-week high against the yen, partly dragged down by the weaker trade numbers. There are two pieces of news may have uh, contributed to that, uh, the trade uh, deficit you mentioned just now, and uh, which may means that the yen really need to depreciate further uh, in order to maintain the export competitiveness. Another piece of news is about the pension funds uh, in Japan, the biggest one, uh, its investment strategy. There has been a lot of talk about uh, its strategy being uh, too uh, focusing on uh, local uh, JGB. Uh, now they are changing uh, their member and then uh, the 
the thought is that uh, it would increase the overseas investments. But uh, I suspect that the process uh, should be fairly long, especially when it comes to the Japanese um, investment decision. But at the margin, it may have also hurt the yen a bit. Now, I, I see we've had a lot of volatility. We had uh, the, the, the Japanese yen rose. It was the strongest of the eight great uh, uh, currencies. And in the last five trading days, it's been down against the U.S. dollar every one of those trading days. Do you see this volatility settling down and, and coming into a more of a smooth or more harmonious period ahead, or are things going to be rocky? Um, I think <clears throat> war may continue to be supported for the moment because there are Many of much of the focus would be on um, the BOJ's uh, monetary policy in the June month because uh, some in the market is expecting some more QE coming out from Japan. And for previous meetings, uh, it was uh, almost uh, 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 consensus that there would be uh, no extra QE. But if there's anything happening, uh, many things that it would be in June. So before the June meeting, I think the volatility could continue to be um, fairly supported. And I, I see you mentioned in, in a note that uh, U.S. rate strategy looks to be a little bit more dovish than it was a month ago. Tell me what's going on there. Um, I think it's um, <clears throat> surrounding Yellen's uh, speech because uh, after Yellen's mentioning of the six-month period, the market was once uh, really on the hawkish side. But uh, afterwards, uh, Yellen seems to uh, be watering down uh, her her rhetoric. For example, just before the holidays, she talked about two dimensions. One is uh, on the labor market. The other is inflation. And she sees labor market slack and saying that the jobless rate is still uh, more than one percentage point above uh, their normal level. And uh, the shortfall remains quite significant. And they think it would take more than two years to close the gap in the jobless rate. Noting that job, jobless rate or the labor market is one of their due targets, uh, which means that um, the Fed may still be on the dovish side and is actually representing quite a perfect mix because on the one hand uh, market now is convinced that um, they will not suddenly become more hawkish and on the other hand we continue to see some solid US number so that may be a very positive scenario for equities. Just turning closer to the region here in Asia what do you like around the, the, the region in terms of currencies? Um, we continue to like the one uh, because of the strong uh, underlying fundamental. There will be Q and GDP out uh, from Korea on Thursday. Although we do expect a slowdown in headline growth rate to 3.3%, but uh, looking at the breakdown, consumption should still be quite uh, supportive, and uh, net exports could have become a net contributor to growth in um, Korea, which means that the authority could be less worried about um, the one strength. And on the other hand, we think the Thai bar would continue to be under pressure because of the local politics there. There is a BOT, the Bank of Thailand policy rate decision, very likely to stay put after last time they cut interest rates. And I don't think um, a policy rate cut is uh, effective in boosting economic activity in Thailand right now. So uh, overall, uh, there would be some divergences in terms of Asian currencies, and which is also confirmed by uh, the movement this morning so far. All right. Well, thank you very much, Francis. That's a good summary. Um, that's Francis Chung, head of uh, rate strategy at CIB Credit well, Agricole. Well, for more on the markets, we're now joined by our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood, who's in Washington. Barry, good morning. Hello, Mike. Good morning again. Uh, just a week ago, observers were worried about the U.S. stock market uh, hitting technical lows. Uh, that's all evaporated. <laughs> yes. 
It has. All the naysayers have once again been proven wrong, at least for now. But uh, we've had the best run in the S&P index in six months, and we've bounced off those lows. And uh, I think the technical people now, Mike, are going to say, let's look at the broader picture, and that is that we usually get a 10% correction in the U.S. equity market every uh, 10 months, and we have now gone for 18 months without any kind of uh, correction, and we're overdue. But the market was up today. And what was, I mean, the rally last week, was that mainly due to the strong earnings of people like General Electric and Morgan Stanley? Yes, I think it was. You know, it's, it's, it's again, a question that people underestimate the underlying strength. I've talked too much on your program about winter, perhaps, but we really did have a fierce one, and I think we're rebounding strongly. You know, you listened to your previous guest talk about uh, Asia and Japan and what is happening. The United States is going to grow for growth. And if Ms. Yellen is dovish, that's because she wants to see a 3% growth rate in the United States. And I think we're going to see it. Housing remains weak, but as you say, General Electric, some of the car companies, they're pretty strong. And I think it's going to get a lot stronger now as we move into the spring and summer months. And we've got McDonald's, AT&T, Procter & Gamble, Caterpillar all coming out this week. Are you expecting similar good results? Well, I think so. I mean, there's a mixed bag on some of these corporate uh, results, but we don't have any economic data to speak of. We've got some housing data coming out, and I think some of the tech companies, which have been in a pretty severe, you know, recession, or at least in terms of their valuations, they've gone down pretty sharply. If you look at, for example, uh, Apple is going to report soon, and uh, their, their market capitalization is down by about 10% just in 2014 after a pretty bad 2013. And the same applies to some of the other tech companies. So I think that, um, you know, they've taken $20 billion off of the market cap of Apple just since the beginning of the year. That's down 6%. And that certainly applies to Amazon as well. So I think the tech correction may be, you know, have run its course. Good, good morning, uh, Barry. Uh, just a question here on the Keystone Pipeline project that's now been postponed. What do you make of that? Well, I think it's very significant, Chris. I think that the Obama administration has decided to go for the money. And the environmentalists who really oppose this pipeline, and you know, listeners may not know that this is a pipeline that runs from Canada right down to the big oil refining facilities in Texas and Louisiana. It's all Canadian oil. But, in fact, Canada owns the pipeline, wants to build it, extend it down so they don't have to go out to Vancouver. The fact is that the environmental lobby in the United States is very strong. They tend to be democratic, and they have pushed to make this a delay until after the midterm elections in November. And I think they've won. I think there's going to be a lot of opposition against this because we need to get those refineries busy, and it could have some impact on oil prices, but uh, that remains to be seen. Barry, the, the yen down uh, this morning to around, uh, what would be, 102.7 to the U.S. dollar. That follows the huge trade deficit figures that Tokyo announced uh, yesterday. Uh, the yen down, but I guess still too strong for Tokyo's liking. We've got President Obama arriving in Tokyo tomorrow. Is trade going to be a large focus of his visit and his talks? Well, I think it is, but uh, they'll talk about everything. But, you know, I think the president wants to give Mr. Abe 
a real strong boost. Because let's face it, we're now a year into this three-arrow strategy in Japan, and it really hasn't produced much. You know, the growth rate remains weak. The yen has been seesawing. There's no sense that Japanese economies, uh, economists have found a way out of the malaise that they've been stuck in for more than 10 years. So I think the president clearly wants to support that. He wants to support the Japanese and Korean connection as some kind of counterweight against China, not taking sides, because the fear in Japan and in South Korea is that the Americans are siding with China. But I think it's a very important visit, both for the United States president and for the Japanese politicians who are very eager to see the president in Tokyo. How do you see him demonstrating his commitment to America's allies in the region over the, Washington's pivot towards Asia? Well, I think he's going to have to make some tough statements. And, you know, those statements tend to be written by diplomats and ambassadors on the ground. But, you know, there's going to be a lot of photo opportunities here. He's going to meet with the emperor. It's, it's an opportunity for the president to really say how much he values the alliance between the United States and Japan. And if, Mike, he can also do something on trade to at least get the inertia on this TPP moving in a positive direction, I think this would be really exciting. But at the same time, I'm not sure that's going to happen. You know, he's not in Japan very long before he, you know, moves on to these three other countries in a very short trip to Asia. But it's a real opportunity for him. Just a final question, Barry. We have another guest lined up who's going to take uh, the theme of uh, microblog Weibo and its uh, debut last uh, trading on, on Thursday in the U.S. forward a little bit for us. But I just want to get an impression from yourself there. So it, it kind of rocketed higher. I think we were all a little bit surprised. Uh, there had been a, a little bit of pessimism about this one. Were you surprised to see the Weibo jump? Well, I was, because you, know, you had a lot of IPOs, Chris, that had happened here in the States, and those prices went down below the initial price. So, you know, here was Weibo, who looked like it was headed in that same direction, and then it shot up. I think there's tremendous interest in the tech world, in the Silicon Valley, about what the Chinese are doing. And Weibo, and I think Tencent, and Alibaba as well. This is, this is closely watched. In fact, I would dare say it's more closely watched in the United States than anything having to do with just Japan. All right, Barry, thank you very much for joining us. That's... Uh Barry Wood, our RTHK's international economics correspondent. According to my next guest, local stocks could be about to get a major boost. The catalyst is deepening connections between the stock markets of Hong Kong and Shanghai. Combined, these markets would trail only New York in size. That would draw the attention of big pension fund money and other institutional funds. So joining us on the program is Brooke McConnell of South Ocean Management. Good morning, Brooke. Mm, Chris, top of the morning to you. So tell me more about this uh, $7.1 combined market monster that would be Hong Kong, Shanghai, and Shenzhen. Well, let's review it just a little bit. Uh, this is a, a new proposal. It surprised the market uh, last week, and there was a knee-jerk reaction in the stock market in Hong Kong. 
Um, what happened back in 07 was there was a similar um, plan introduced, and investors were exhilarated. The, the Hang Seng Index went from 19,400 up to over 30,000 from August to um, October. Um, and the China A shares rose to 60 times earnings, and the Hong Kong Hang Seng Index was 24 times. Volumes were exorbitant, 26 billion U.S. a day. Um, and uh, now they're about $8.8 billion. So it, it was an ill-conceived plan back then, I believe, and it was abandoned within four months, whereby Chinese investors were going to be able to invest in Hong Kong. So uh, the, both Hong Kong and, and mainland shares collapsed. Right. And, they, and today they remain about 40% below those levels. Um, and the... Uh, other uh, foreign ownership uh, uh, policies that China put in, QDFI, um, uh, QDII, um, these are all ad hoc and, and, and convulsion, convulsion type uh, policies, as were the, the, the first B shares. You remember those back in the right, early 90s right. that were for uh, – th- these were all just former testing grounds to what under this proposed three trillion I think is a, is a very significant uh, event for Hong Kong. Um, this is really lifting the shareholder res- uh, ownership restrictions. It's an important step for China's um, closed capital account. Um, it's a significant opening and liberalization of the, the yuan convertibility in my eyes. And this brings up what I've been thinking about for years. It's my Big Bang Theory, okay? You take the total world stock markets of about $60 trillion. Hong Kong is about fifth largest at about three trillion, China's stock market was zero 20 years ago when I arrived, and now it's one of the largest stock markets in the world. Shanghai and Shenzhen combined is four trillion dollars. If you can follow along with me, so together, China and and Hong Kong viewed as a market is seven trillion dollars market cap. Okay, you following me so yep. far? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. that compares to the world's second largest market, which is Japan which is $4 trillion. Now, global pension assets are currently about $30 trillion. In the U.S., they're mostly bankrupt. I saw a report recently suggesting that uh, U.S. pension funds have to grow 9% a year for the next 10 years just to break even. So they're not going to get 9% in bonds these days uh, with Yellen at the the, uh, helm, for sure. So... There's only a fraction right now of that money, of pension monies invested in this region. Um, you take, just take a look at the uh, relative weighting of global investment allocation to Japan, which is about 12.5% in 2012. Right. Right? Hong Kong is, 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 is less than a half of 1%, and there's no money in China right now. So what's the catalyst that could actually spur these fund flows? Is it just, you know, there has to be more, you know, the, the, the through train has to be in, in operation for a year? Is there a kind of demarcation point? Yeah, the, 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 the through train has got some, uh, you know, there's going to be regulatory issues and, and differences, of course, and these are going to have to be, you know, sorted out and handled as they go along. But I think this is going to facilitate a far larger allocation to this region in the future. Um, and, 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 and the combined stock markets, you know, these global asset allocators are not going to be able to ignore it anymore. You know, it's the second largest entity uh, stock market on earth. 
And so these China mobiles, ICBCs, uh, Citic Pacifics, they're way too cheap. So, I so think, granted that it's a gradual process, how right. long until we begin to see a real impact from this bang? Well, this is like turning the 747 around in the parking lot. It's going to be a while. It's, these are huge, huge sums of monies that are going to be impacting you know, these markets out here, which are extremely cheap. You know, A shares were 60 times, they're now single digit times, and uh, Hong Kong market's down to 10 times. So, I mean, there's a gigantic amount of money that's going to come into these low price shares. And it's, you know, it's not next quarter's. You know, if you're going to ask me what's going to happen next quarter, I'm not the guy to ask. So there, there's a good long-term kind of driver there. But let's just look at the short term for a moment. Mm-hmm. What do you like around the region? What do you like in Hong Kong? In 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 Hong Kong, um, you know, we invest in the uh, growth of China through the Hong Kong um, listed companies, and there are some terrific stories, uh, great growth stories. Do you have uh, a name? Do you have a name? You can uh, I've got loads of names for you. Okay, hold on. Let me, um, yeah, how, how much time? We run out of time. Just yeah, quickly. quickly. Okay. Um, um, China needs uh, water, and it needs a lot of water. So there's Beijing Enterprise Water we own, which is uh, sewage treatment, reclamation, and also uh, seawater desalination plants. I like uh, Jiangnan Group. Uh, it makes It's the leading cable manufacturer of high-intensity wires that are going to be strung up all through China because they're putting in the second grid, and they've got to connect all those wind farms and solar farms. Uh, I like um, um, I like some of these um, these, these uh, manufacturers like uh, Tongda, which is a PC manufacturer of uh, uh, for Lenovo and smartphones, and they're going into the 4G revolution now. So there's some there's some niche names out there that I like. Uh, I like uh, hydro uh, electric uh, utility like China Power. Um, okay. So, the, some of the, th- the things that China needs. Let me just sneak in a quick question here. As 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 you heard in the news, we had uh, microblog Weibo uh, debut in the U.S. to uh, jumped about twenty mm-hmm. percent its first day. Mm-hmm. Monday it was also up about thirteen percent. Are you also optimistic on these uh, tech shares? And, how, and if so, how does one get ahead of the of the of the game there? Yeah, there's some very interesting names. Uh, I think what really Alibaba was about, and that's the, you know the the real big. Uh, gorilla coming into the uh, into the uh, dining room here soon. Uh, Alibaba is actually going to be a deposit-taking entity up in China. This is just huge news to me. And uh, they're trying to the banks, the ABCs, and the ICBCs are trying to stop that. But I mean, I think that's really what makes Alibaba a very interesting story. And there's some other interesting um, text names out there that are doing some very interesting things in that space as well. All right, Brooke. Uh, sorry we're out of time this morning, but it's been great to have you on the program. And uh, I know you've been a long-term Hong Kong resident, so it's great to see you on the, on the radio again. That's Brooke McConnell, President and Chief Investment Officer of South Ocean Management. Just before we go uh, this morning, another quick look at the markets. And it's a bit mixed this morning in Asia. Shares in Tokyo up about half a percent. The Seoul's now down a quarter percent. In the weather, it's going to be mainly cloudy today with a top temperature of around 27 degrees. Currently, it's 24 degrees. The humidity, 91%. And here's Samantha Butler with the news. RTHK News. A week after the sinking of a ferry packed with schoolchildren off the South Korean coast, more bodies have been recovered from the submerged vessel in the Yellow Sea. 87 people are known to have died, but more than 200 are still missing. The BBC's Jonathan Head is on the island of Jindo, where the recovery operation is being coordinated. There was some progress yesterday because the conditions are much clearer. The sea is calm, the sun is out, the currents are weaker. 
and that enabled divers to explore far more areas of the sunken hull. It's where we had uh, more than 20 bodies. This morning, I think they're expecting the same kind of progress. It's really rather grim watching the procession of bodies being brought back here. I've just watched them bring in an underwater robotic vehicle, an underwater robot, which they'll also use. But in the end, this is still a very, very slow operation. And of course, that's contributing to the enormous anger felt not just by parents, but right across the country about what happened. But increasingly, there are questions about the government's performance, even though the government appears to have thrown you know, all the resources it can at this operation. The United States and its Western allies have condemned Syria's decision to hold a presidential election on June the 3rd, despite the continuing civil war. Britain's Foreign Office said the poll was designed to sustain the dictatorship of Bashar al-Assad. The U.S. State Department dismissed Syria's plans as a parody of democracy. The United States also says it suspects the use of a toxic chemical in Syria earlier this month. The State Department spokeswoman Jen Psaki told the news conference an investigation was underway to determine whether the Syrian government was responsible. We have indications uh, of the use of a toxic industrial chemical, probably chlorine, in Syria this month in the opposition-dominated village of Kafir Zeta. We're examining allegations that the government was responsible. We take all allegations of the use of chemicals in combat use very seriously. Uh, We're working to determine what is 